That's Luke chapter 16, verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Here ends the Gospel reading. Well, as we stand together, let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. And as we look at it together now, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd help us to understand it. And Father, these are hard words, so we pray that not only would you help us to understand them, but we pray that you'd help us to trust that what you are saying through them is true. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Good morning. It's good to be with you. If you haven't done so already, please uh, pick up one of the Bibles near where you're sitting and turn back to page 875. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16, verses 14 to 18. We've been working our way through uh, this section of the book of Luke, and these are the verses that we're looking at this morning. So that's Luke chapter 16, verses 14 to 18 that Kate read for us earlier. (coughs) My friend Peter tells the story, it's a true story, of the deep freezer in his garage. He had one of those huge deep chest freezers, and he kept it in his garage for extra supplies of food. Well, one very hot summer, one of his kids was putting his bike away in the garage and accidentally managed to knock the plug on the wall, of course, switching off the electricity supply to the freezer. His son hadn't realized he'd done it. Two weeks later, my friend went into the garage and he knew straight away from the smell that something was not right. He looked across at the shiny white freezer and it looked lovely and clean and very white. (laughs) Then he opened the door and you can imagine, can't you? the disgusting, stinky mess that he found. Defrosting rotten meat, melted ice cream, milk bottles about to explode, and so on. He knew that it was very bad, and he knew that he needed to sort it out. But how do you sort out something so bad that the smell of it makes you want to throw up? He had no idea what to do, So he switched the freezer back on, closed the lid, and left the garage. (laughs) And it was a very long time before he came back to deal with it. Well, in our Bible reading this morning, Jesus lifts the lid on our lives and shows us what's in our heart 
what we are like on the inside. And the bad news is that it is even worse than a freezer full of rotten food. And it is bad news because God hates rotten hearts even more than we would hate the smell of rotten fish. And that is our first lesson. Our hearts are disgusting in God's sight. But it's not all bad news. The really good news is that Jesus also shows us that he knows exactly how to deal with this mess. In fact, that's why he, God, came to earth as a man. And so the second lesson we'll see this morning is that Jesus came to deal with our disgusting hearts. And you think all of that would have made Jesus popular with the religious people of his day, but oh no, they hate the fact that he's doing something different. And so next, Jesus answers the question, now that you're doing something new, what has happened to the old rules and laws? And so we'll also see that the hearts of those rescued by Jesus still need God's law. And then finally, Jesus illustrates what he's just said by teaching us about God's design for marriage. And so we'll spend some time listening to what he has to teach us on that important subject. So that's where we're going this morning, from Luke chapter 16, verses 14 to 18. Now, in this section of Luke, Jesus has just been teaching his disciples. You can see that from chapter 16, verse 1. He's taught them the parable of the dishonest manager, which we looked at last week, if you were here. And right at the end of that section, Jesus ends with these words. I'm reading from verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. David Holloway last week made the point in his sermon that Jesus didn't say you should not serve God and money, but you cannot serve God and money. In other words, Jesus is saying here that you have to choose. Either I serve God or I serve money. And Jesus is talking here to his disciples, those who claim to follow and serve him, and he's asking them a very uncomfortable question. Jesus is looking inside them. He's looking at their heart. And he's asking them what it is that matters the most to them. Whatever is going on on the outside, he says, your heart can really serve only one master. If you want to be a follower of God, if you want to be his disciple, you have to be devoted to him and to him alone. Well, that's where our passage begins and where we will learn our first lesson, which is this. Our hearts are disgusting in God's sight. And that's from verses 14 to 15. Well, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, the Pharisees are listening to him. Now, the Pharisees were a group of Jewish believers who took their faith very seriously indeed. They knew that following God's laws were important, and they were well known as people who tried hard to keep God's laws. But look how they respond, how they react to Jesus' words. Look at verse 14 with me. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. So the Pharisees thought that what Jesus was saying was ridiculous. Luke tells us why. It's because they loved money. So they didn't like what he was teaching. It was too black and white for them. What do you mean, either I serve God or I serve money? That can't be right. My life's pretty decent, really, isn't it? 
Jesus, do you not know how well I keep the Ten Commandments and the other laws? But you know what? If we're honest, we can be very like those Pharisees, can't we? If the outside looks okay, we don't want to look too deeply inside, do we? Maybe we know that if we lift the lid and if we sift through our thoughts and our desires and our secrets, that we'll find something and have no idea what to do about it. So it's much easier, isn't it, to shut the lid and just walk away. And as long as everyone sees that the outside is okay, we don't want to look on the inside too closely or ask too many awkward questions. But in today's passage, Jesus does ask us to look inside. And whatever we look like on the outside, God sees what's on the inside. He knows what we are like, and it is not good. Look at verse 15. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. The issue here is this. God has made us. He's our creator. He loves us, and he wants what is best for us. And so he tells us how we should live. Earlier on in the book of Luke, in chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus agreed that the whole law can be summarized like this. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's how we should live. But we don't measure up. Not one of us does. And what is more, we don't want to. Our hearts are all rebelling against God. We reject the God who made us and the God who knows what is best for us. Do you remember that serpent in the Garden of Eden who questioned the commands that God had given us? Did God really say that we must not do this? Surely I can decide for myself what is right or wrong. Yes, we question his goodness and we challenge God's right to rule his creation. The Bible calls that sin and it is in each one of our hearts. And I know it's strong language, but it is evil. And it is disgusting. And God hates it. And living like that affects our relationships with one another. We're selfish and self-centered. We fight and quarrel. We compete against each other instead of loving one another. We hate and we hurt and we use one another. And that's what we'll find if we're brave enough to have an honest look inside. Do you think I'm getting a bit carried away? Do you think my language is a bit strong? Well, listen again to Jesus in verse 15. Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted amongst men is an abomination in the sight of God. On the outside, of course, we want to look respectable. We want others to think we love God and we love others. So we justify ourselves before men, as Jesus puts it. So we take the commands of God and we try to reduce what it has to say to us, to lower the bar and make God's standard easier to reach by minimizing what it's about. Or we try and wriggle out of what God requires of us. But God knows our hearts. 
It's a long time ago now, but many years ago, I shared a house with five other friends, and one of my housemates received a phone call from her mum every single week at exactly the same time. Uh, this was in the days before mobile phones, and so it was just one house phone, and uh, we shared uh, the bill, and we shared answering the phone. Well, this particular week, I can't remember the reason why, but my housemate didn't want to speak to her mum. So when the phone rang, before anyone answered it, she ran to the bathroom, jumped into the bath, which was dry, and said, pick up the phone and tell her I'm in the bath. It's not a lie. <laughs> God's law requires us to be truthful, doesn't it? Yet how easy we find ways to justify ourselves with what we are, that what we are doing is right and completely miss the point of God's law. Our hearts are a mess, and that's the bad news. But it leads us on to our second point and the amazing news that Jesus wants to give us a solution. You see, Jesus came to deal with our disgusting hearts, and we see that from verse 16. Look at that with me. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Or as you can see from the footnote, that can also mean everyone is forcefully urged into it. Ken's already mentioned this earlier, but our, every time we write down the date, our calendar makes a very powerful and profound point. The whole of history is divided into B.C., and AD, and the center point of history is a person, Jesus. Everything is calculated as coming before him or after him. And that's true because when Jesus came, everything changed. The countdown was over. This is what all that had come before was about. The John that's referred to in these verses is John the Baptist, who is Jesus' older cousin and the last of the Old Testament prophets. And up to that point in history, Jesus says, was the time of the law and the prophets. That was BC. But then Jesus came, and it was time for the good news of the kingdom of God to be preached to everyone. Now it is AD. And what is that good news? It's all about the amazing news that Jesus can deal with the problem of our rebellious hearts. It's a mess that we couldn't sort out ourselves. Only he could do it. Only he could make us good. How does he do that? Well, first, he makes it possible for us to be forgiven. We deserve death for our sin. But if we accept that we have a problem and we turn and trust in Christ, then we don't receive what we deserve. Jesus, God's perfect, righteous son, died instead of us. He took all the punishment that we should have received as he hung on the cross so that we could be completely and utterly forgiven if only we would come to Jesus and ask to be forgiven. And that's, of course, what we're going to remember together in a few minutes when we come to eat bread and drink wine together. But if I dare say this, it's even better news than that. You see, forgiveness removes the punishment we deserve for the sins we've committed, but forgiveness in and of itself doesn't necessarily change our sinful heart. And remember, it's the heart that is the real problem. Jesus doesn't just forgive us. He deals with that too. When we become disciples of Jesus, we don't just get a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
we receive a new heart. A heart that wants Jesus to be my king. That's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. He is now my Lord. He is now my king. And for the first time, I want to obey him. And I no longer want to run my own kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean we do it perfectly. Our new heart is who we really are now when we become a Christian. But we still face a lifelong fight against our old, disgusting hearts. And only on that day when we will meet Jesus face to face will that battle be over. But we do not fight alone. God gives us, does he not, the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us fight against our old desire to sin. So let me pause at this point and just ask you directly, have you put your trust in Jesus? This is urgent. Once you've opened the lid and seen what is inside, don't just shut the lid and walk away. Your heart is a mess. And there is nothing you can do to sort it out. Jesus has done everything that is needed. Will you accept the truth that you need help and simply ask Jesus to sort out this mess for you? Now, it may be that what I'm talking about is very new to you. Maybe you need time to ask more questions and find out more about what Jesus says. Well, a couple of things to do. Please pick up one of these free Why Jesus booklets. You'll find them on the exits. They're free. Please take them away with you. There's also a copy of Mark's Gospel uh, that you can take away and read. And uh, there's also Christianity Explored courses, and there's leaflets uh, that tell you all about that. They give you the opportunity to think more about what Jesus has to say and consider his offer and his claim. Jesus brings you good news, and he strongly urges you to enter his kingdom before it is too late. Now, the good news of the kingdom of God is that nothing we do or don't do will make God love us any more or any less. We're saved by grace, not by what we do. But that leaves us with an obvious question. Does that now mean that God's law is out of date? And that's what Jesus answers in verse 17. Have a look at that with me. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. In other words, Jesus says, no, God's word has not been left behind. God's law still tells us what our God is like and how our king wants to live in his kingdom. You see, the hearts of those rescued by Jesus still need God's law. And one reason we need it is because it acts like a spotlight. It shines a light into our hearts and shows us that we do not want to keep any of God's commands. And that is a good thing, designed to help us realize how much we need his grace and how much we need Jesus to rescue us. But we also need God's law because it shows us how we can live in a way that pleases our loving Father. Now that we have a new heart, we want to obey God's law. Not so that God can love us, but because we are loved and because we have been forgiven by Christ. Now, some of the laws are eternal and unchanging. Some were intended for the Jewish state, but still contain principles that apply today. And there are yet others that pointed to the coming of Jesus and what he would do, such as the laws about the Jewish temple sacrifices. And while we don't need to carry them out, 
We're not to rip those laws out of our Bibles. They still teach us about God and his ways. One of the first meals I cooked for my wife when we started going out was a beautiful dinner, steak and chips and salad. My favorite meal. If I'd known her a little bit better, I would have realized that she was basically vegetarian. (laughs) Not a great start. But it's the same with God. To know how to please him, how to live in his kingdom now, that we are rescued by Jesus. We need to know who he is and what he is like, and his law tells us those things. When we now get to verse 18, where Jesus introduces the topic of divorce and remarriage, and I don't know about you, but maybe um, like me, when I first looked at this, you wondered, why are these verses here? Well, I think they're here because they're an example of what Jesus has been showing us and teaching us in verses 14 to 17. And so I want to turn to that verse now. But for this next bit, you're going to have to work quite hard with me because there's a lot of ground to cover. Now, as we talk about this topic, I want to say that I do know that for many of us, this may be a very hard subject to talk about. It is for me, still dealing with the divorce of my own parents 20 years ago and of my dad's subsequent remarriage. But it is important that we understand what Jesus is telling us through these verses. And although what he says will be hard to hear, he says them not to judge us, but because he loves us and he wants what is best for us. So the first thing we need to know is that in other parts of the Bible, when Jesus teaches about marriage, he takes us back to Genesis to show us that God was the one who designed marriage as the wonderful gift that it is. And it is God who defined what marriage is. Marriage is a unique relationship established by God between one man and one woman. And it lasts until one of the partners dies. Marriage is for life. And that is the key principle that Jesus is teaching here. And if you want to read those other passages, they are Mark chapter 10, verse 9, and Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6. The second thing you need to know is that the Jewish law at the time allowed for divorce if the man wanted it for almost any reason. They justified that because in Deuteronomy chapter 24, divorce is discussed. Now, there was some disagreement between the different groups of Pharisees at the time of Jesus about the reasons you needed in order to get a divorce. But everybody was in agreement at the time and assumed that God allowed divorce. And they also assumed that if you were divorced, then you were free to marry somebody else. And then the third thing we need to bear in mind is that the Pharisees were badly mistaken in that view. Deuteronomy 24 just describes divorce as a fact. It doesn't ever say that God was in favor of it. It just acknowledges that sometimes a marriage breaks down to such an extent that it is not possible and sometimes not safe for the couple to continue living together. And it gave guidelines on how to handle such a separation. But it doesn't say that if one of the married couples is unfaithful, 
then the marriage is over. And it doesn't say that divorce breaks the marriage either. It simply recognizes that in a broken world, sadly, marriages do break up for a whole range of reasons. But the Pharisees missed the fact that divorce did not change the situation, that marriage in the sight of God lasts until the death of one of the partners. And so with all that in mind, let's look at what Jesus says in verse 18. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, what Jesus says here is that when two people who are married divorce, they are still in the sight of God married. That means they're not free to remarry. If either of them married someone else, they are committing adultery. And as you know, adultery is a sexual relationship with someone who is already married to someone else. So by calling the second marriages of anyone who's been divorced adultery... Jesus is saying that they are still, in God's sight, married to their first partner. Divorce has not ended the marriage, whatever the reason for the divorce was. Only death does that. It's a massive subject, and time doesn't allow me to say all that I would like to about it, and I'm sure you've got lots of questions, so please make sure that any questions this throws up, you ask Come and speak to me or talk to Ken, and we'll try and help you. But for now, we just have enough time to link this example of divorce and remarriage to what Jesus is saying in the rest of the passage. And what I think Jesus is doing is making the point that just making the point about just how seriously God takes his law and just how high his standards are. Even the super-keen Pharisees did not go far enough. And this area of divorce and remarriage is just one example of how we can become experts in creating the outward appearance of doing good, while our hearts look for loopholes to get out of what God commands us to do. Jesus very pointedly says to them, you have missed the point about marriage. And Jesus shows us that he takes God's word seriously. And the challenge for us here is to also take God's word seriously. Jesus knows what he is talking about, and he gave his life to save you. So his words can be trusted, and his ways are good for us. In our confused and broken world, obeying God is often hard in the short term, but not in the long term. And God's Spirit gives us all we need to reject an outward and superficial obedience and to please him, whatever the cost. And to end with, of course, I want to remind us all what Jesus has been talking about, that we all fall short of God's will. So there is no space for being judgmental. Not one of us here has a freezer that does not need Jesus to sort out. There is nothing inside us that Jesus cannot or will not deal with. We will all, always need to come to Jesus for forgiveness. And forgiveness is available for all of us, no matter how far short we fall, no matter what we have done.
And that is the good news of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have told us what is wrong and that you have brought the solution. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in our place. Thank you that we can be forgiven. Thank you that you have given us, when we trust in you, a new heart that longs to obey you and your spirit to help us to do so. Father, what we have read today is hard and we pray that you would help us not to turn away from what we have seen in your word and that we would trust you. We ask that in his name.